Okay, it's a new year. It's a brand new year, a chance to put everything from 2020 behind us. And that's what I really want to do is put 2020 behind us. Although here at church, it was a fantastic year. It was a year of growth, a chance for us to come together as, as God's people, to support each other, to get to know each other. And you know what? All of us have made plans for the future. Amen. You know, Cole's starting college. Doug's going through college. Miss Laurel's going to be graduating. We all have new plans. We all have plans for the future. But you know, sometimes the world gets weird. Can I get an amen on that one? Sometimes the world does not go the way we think it should. Um, I was thinking about this sermon and I began to wonder what Abram felt like when God said, come out of Ur of the Chaldees and let me show you a land that one day your descendants will have. And it says Abraham wandered like a stranger in a strange land. He wandered through Canaan before it was his. And the Lord told him, this land will be your descendants. It will not be yours, but it will belong to those who come after you. I wonder what it was like for Abram to see from a distance what his descendants would inherit because of God's grace and mercy. Now, the book of Ruth, where we are today, it teaches us that our lives can sometimes be turned upside down. Our lives can sometimes be put on hold. But when that happens, God is still working. Okay, if you write down anything today, write this. When your life seems on hold, God is still working. Even if you don't see the door that God wants you to go through a graduation, that door is already there. That position is already there. That, that, put, that appointed place is already there for you to fulfill. You just have to wait till you get there. And sometimes it's a little ways off. Right now, all we have is what I like to call a life interrupted. A life interrupted. And there are three things that can interrupt our lives. Three things that interrupt the day-to-day -day life of believing people. That's what we're going to look at today. We are in the book of Ruth, chapter 1, verse 1. Three things that interrupt our lives. The first thing that interrupts our life is tragedy. Life is often interrupted by tragedy. Let's take a look at this. Ruth 1.1. 1, 1. During the time of the judges, there was a famine in the land. A man of Bethlehem in Judah with his wife and two sons left to live in the land of Moab for a while. Doesn't say how long, it just says for a while. The man's name was Elimelech, and his wife's name was Naomi. The names of his two sons were Mahlan and Chilan. They were Ephraimites from Bethlehem in Judah. They entered the land of Moab and settled there. Now this is going to become important in a while because you know the land of Moab was not a place that people liked. They kind of had the same relationship that we have with Oklahoma. You know, we know it's there. And we know that it's really not that bad a place, but nobody would want to go there anyways. I'm just saying. So they entered the land of Moab and settled there. Naomi's husband, Elimelech, died, and she was left with her two sons. The word left is the word remnant. She was left with a remnant of her marriage, two sons. Now, in the Hebrew world, two sons would be considered a wealth. To have two grown sons would be considered everything a mother could hope for. Why? Even though she had lost her husband, she had security in her sons. Her sons would take care of her, provide for her, give her the life that she always wanted. So therefore, she had a remnant of that family left behind in her two sons. Her sons took Moabite women as their wives. One was named Orpah, the second was named Ruth. They lived in Moab about 10 years. Both Malan and Chilan 
also died, and Naomi was left without her two children and without her husband. This, for an Israelite woman, would be the most devastating prospect in life. A woman in those days had no real opportunity to work, to make money, to support herself. A woman was always dependent upon her father until the day of her marriage. Then she was dependent upon her husband until the day of his death. Then she was dependent upon her sons until the day of their death. Now, that's how a woman's life was in the old days. Is that, is that what we have today in America? No. We have a very different world today. So understand for Naomi, her entire life disappeared at that moment. She was an Israelite. She was living in Moab. Moab was a place where Israelites were not supposed to be. They were not supposed to be in that place. Let me take you through this real quickly. If you look at this, it says Judges 21-25, because it says during the time of the judges, this is when all this happened. So it says this, in those days there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in their own eyes. Now, is that a common mindset in Texas today? You bet it is. No one says, hmm, the Bible says this and the Bible says that. Therefore, I will do what the Bible says. No one says that. They say, well, this seems right to me. This seems okay. This seems appropriate to my culture. You know, we were talking last week, uh, Miss Laurel and I were talking about how uh, churches have changed in America, how pastors no longer want to preach the entire Bible, they want to preach sections of the Bible. They want to preach certain ideas that are not objectionable to the rest of the world. They don't want to single out sin. In fact, many churches don't use the word sin because we think of that as a very judgmental word. It's not judgmental, it's a simple fact. When you don't do what God says to do, or when you do what God says don't do, you have sinned against a holy God. That's why everybody is so anxious to become one of those milk toasty, sort of middle of the road, everybody gets to heaven, God just winks at our misdeeds, or God just looks at our mistakes and understands that we're only human. That is nothing that the Bible teaches. God called the people of Israel to be a singular people set apart for him, to worship him, to proclaim him, to let him become known throughout the entire earth. Israel was to be a lighthouse in a dark world. That was their purpose. Their purpose was to show forth the things of God. But as it says, there was no king in Israel and everyone did what was right in their own eyes. Elimelech was a man of Benjamin. He should never never have left. Now, there was a famine in the land. It was a tough time. There was an economic downturn, as it were. But he should never have gone to the land of Moab. This is why. Deuteronomy 7, 3 through 4. You shall not intermarry with these people, giving your daughters to their sons or taking their daughters for your sons, for they would turn away your sons from following me, says God, to serve other gods. Then the anger of Yahweh would be kindled against you and he would destroy you quickly. Deuteronomy is warning them before they go into the promised land, do not intermarry with people who do not believe in Yahweh who do not worship the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You know, today we, we talk a lot about what does it mean to be unequally yoked? What does it mean for a person who believes firmly in who God is, who Jesus is, who, who the word of God says he, he is and how he provides? 
We don't intermarry with people who are Hindus or people who are Muslim or people who worship uh, aliens from alien worlds. We don't do that. Why? Because they are fundamentally incompatible. One of you will have to compromise. One of you will have to cave in. And it's almost always the believer. I have seen so many marriages where the believer marries the unbeliever and within a very short period of time, there is no difference between them. Because the unbeliever will do everything in their power to drag you away from God because your, your dependence on him will make you unacceptable to them. I've seen it where believing men marry unbelieving women and believing women marry unbelieving men. And it almost always comes down to, that's why God warns them in Deuteronomy, don't do this. But it's even more specific. Numbers 25, 1 through 3. When the Israelites were camped at Acacia, some of the men began to have sexual relations with the Moabite women, specifically the Moabite women. These women then invited the men to ceremonies where there were sacrifices offered to their gods. The men ate the meat from the sacrifices and worshipped the Moabite gods. Yahweh was angry with Israel because they had worshipped the god Baal of Peor. Baal means Lord. It's a Hebrew word meaning Lord. So the Lord of Peor or the God of Peor. You see, what had happened is it was, they were trying to find some way to destroy Israel. So they, they, they called this priest to curse them. And he wouldn't do it. He says, God will not let me curse them. That's his people. And so finally, the king went away, but he snuck around behind the back and said, hey, king, I can't curse them. But if you want to destroy Israel, take your most beautiful women, dress them in their most seductive wear, send them in to mingle among them, and through that you will draw them aside. You will draw them aside. I was talking to a young man once, and he says, why is it there's such a difference between Christian women and non-Christian women? I said, well, what do you mean? He said, well, non-Christian girls are so much easier to deal with. And I said, what do you mean, sleazier to deal with? And he smiled, and I smiled, and I knew exactly what he meant. He said, Christian girls are just no fun. And I thought to myself, has this kid never read anything from the Old Testament? And there are churches that will not read the Old Testament. Those two verses, Deuteronomy, Numbers, you will not hear them preached in a lot of churches. You know why? It offends people. I'm sorry, if God's expectations offend us, then he's not the one that's wrong. We are. He's not the one that should change. We are. Amen? We change ourselves to come in line with what God expects of his people. And there's a reason he says, he says, look, if you take your sons over here and you take these hot Moabite women and you give it to your sons, of course they're going to be very happy. And then these women will drag your sons into the worship of these foreign idols. Much of the Worship in Canaan was, was fertility worship, so it involved a lot of sex. And, and that was fine with the men because they didn't care that they were offending God, that they were, that they were departing from the faith, that they were going somewhere else. They didn't care. They were getting what they wanted. And that's what a lot of people are like today. Well, here's the thing. You can live that kind of life until tragedy strikes. Naomi knew Elimelech knew they should not leave Israel. They should not go to these people. Because, you know, I knew when I went overseas. Okay, if you're, if you're in a country where all the women are foreign women, what are you most likely going to marry? A foreign woman. But what you do is you go to church. 
and you find that woman who worships the Lord. You find that woman who's committed to God. That's the woman you marry. Not just any girl in the country, but that girl who is God's first, your second. Amen? You know exactly what I'm talking about. So here it is. She went there. She lost her husband first. Then she lost her sons. Naomi believed that the anger of the Lord would come against her and would destroy her quickly. She felt she was cursed because she and her husband had disobeyed, had disobeyed God. When Elimelech died, her two sons were single, but they suddenly needed to support their mom. So they're still in Moab. They're still living in that place. They're making money. They've got a business going. And of course, the only women you're surrounded by are Moabite women. You're not going to send back to Israel to bring over two wives into that place. Naomi knew that what they had done was a mistake. But now it was too late to fix it. Now her life had stopped and it was sacked with tragedy. Okay, that's the first thing that happens when your life is interrupted. It's interrupted by tragedy. Second thing I want you to see is this. Life can be interrupted by stubborn disobedience. We can't control tragedy. We can't control the negative things that happen to us. Okay, we can't. But we can control how we react. Ruth 1.6, she and her daughter-in-laws prepared to leave the land of Moab because she had heard in Moab that Yahweh had paid attention to his people's needs by providing them food. The famine was over at home. The very thing that caused them to leave, their lack of faith in God, their lack of faith that they would stay and see what God would do. Now they had left and now they were in a foreign country. Now she hears, oh, hey, the, uh, the famine's over. There's lots of food everywhere. So she decides to go back. She left the place where they had been living, accompanied by her two daughter-in-laws, and they traveled along the road leading back to the land of Judah. She said to them, each of you go back to your mother's house, because in those days, when your husband died, you were expected to return to your father and mother's house. Because you were under your husband's authority while you were married to him, but once he died, you were back under your parents' authority and you would go back to them. That was the most natural thing for them to do. Then she says this. Now pay attention to Naomi's words. It's really important. It says, each of you go back to your mother's house. May Yahweh show faithful love to you as you have shown to the dead and to me. May Yahweh enable each of you to find security in the house of a new husband. Remember, for the Israelite woman, security was everything. Security was what they needed most. What they needed from a husband was not a loving, kind person that would rub their feet and cook dinner for them and all that stuff. That was alien to them. A man was a very useful part of life because he went out and he worked and he provided and he provided security and food and, and a house and everything to live in. And that's what a man was for. And that's what a lot of men in this country grew up thinking. You're a provider. That's your job. But it's a little more complicated than that these days, isn't it? A man is a lot more than just someone who goes out and works and comes home and gives the wife his check. There's a lot more to the marriage relationship in our world than there was then. But she sends them home saying, hey, go find security. Go find a place to live with a new husband. She kissed them and they wept loudly. No, they said to her, we will go with you to your people. But Naomi replied, return home, my daughters. Why do you want to go with me? Am I able to have any more sons who could become your husbands? That was the Israelite tradition. If your husband died, you would be given as wife to the next uh, brother in line, and he would take you as a wife 
meaning he would take the responsibility to take care of you. He was also responsible for uh, giving you a child, and that child would be the child of your brother in your brother's name, so that his name would not disappear from Israel. Very important to keep that family name going. You see, we as Americans are very Israelite. We like to keep that family name going. You know, there needs to be another person to carry on the family name. And, and that was so much important for them. So she replied, go home, my daughters. Return. Why do you want to go with me? I can't have any more sons. Return home, my daughters. Go on, for I am too old to have another husband. Even if I thought that there was still hope for me to have a husband tonight and to bear sons, would you be willing to wait for them to grow up? That's at least 13 years. Would you restrain yourselves from remarrying? No, my daughters. My life is much too bitter. Pay attention. First time you hear her say this. My life is much too bitter for you to share because Yahweh's hand is turned against me. See, she's thinking, oh, we came to Moab. I gave Moabite women to my sons. So God is punishing me. So to punish me, God killed my husband. God killed my sons to punish me for my sin. That's bad theology, people. That is bad theology. That's not how God does it. So Yahweh's hand is turned against me. Again, they wept loudly, and Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. By the way, this word cling is the same word you have in the book of Genesis when the man would cling to his wife. It's a desperate holding. It's, it's an unbreakable bond. It's this desire to reach out and hold someone close and never let them go. So Ruth was clinging to Naomi, holding on so tight that there was no way to shake her off. And that's exactly what this picture is. Naomi said, look, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her God. Follow your sister-in-law. This is the point at which every pastor wants to walk up, grab Naomi, and shake some sense into her. Woman, what are you talking about? You're going to send her back to her people and her gods. Now, you just blessed her in the name of Yahweh. Yahweh was not just the name of God. It was the covenant name of God. It was the name that they would call on when they wanted to show this relationship. Not just to a God, not just to El, not just to Elohim, not just these other Hebrew words, but to Yahweh, the name he gives us on Mount Sinai. This covenant name by which we call him and he responds because that is that name of connection that is so important. That name of connection. That's why you'll always see me say Yahweh, Yahweh, because that is the name of God. Now, a Jew won't say that name. They will say Adonai, which is Lord, you know, and they will say that because they think that God's name is too holy to use. But when, when Moses said, what's your name? Yahweh. Okay, God gives you his name, you call him that. It's like Doug there. If I say, hey, Doug, how you doing? Doug will go, I'm doing good. But if I look out generally and go, hey, guy, you know, Gary might say hi, and Glenn might say hi, but I'm talking to Doug. But if I use his name, he knows I'm talking to him. Amen. If I say, Glenn, can you do this? Glenn goes, absolutely, because you know I'm talking to you. When you call out to Yahweh, he knows you're calling on him. And you're calling on the covenant that he makes with his people. That is so important. You had a covenant with the Almighty God. And it was really silly, really silly, silly for her to send her daughter-in-laws that she says she loves to send them back to the pagan gods of the Moabites. There was no salvation in those gods. There was no grace in those gods. There was no life in them. They were false gods. And she was sending them back. Why? I'll tell you why. When she returns to Israel, 
If she comes back with nothing by herself, she can start a new life. But if she goes back with a Moabite daughter-in-law, every day that she looks at that daughter-in-law is a reminder of the mistake she made in leaving in the first place. Every day that she looked at Ruth, she remembered that God had punished her by killing her husband and killing her sons, or so she thought. She wanted to just leave the memory of it behind, but you can't leave behind the memory. The memory persists. See, the great thing about remembering our stupidity as human beings, and believe me, I could make a chain list of stupid, starting from when I was very young to five minutes ago, I can make a chain of all the stupid things that I have been and done, but you know what that does? It makes me love God all the more. Because even though I have been an idiot throughout most of my life, I mean, the first smart thing I did was marry my wife, and it got better after that. But I mean, I remember what I was, the mistakes I made, as Naomi should have. But I remember that God is gracious. God is loving. God is merciful. And in spite of everything I have been and done, God still loves me. If that doesn't give us joy, what does? If that doesn't help us overcome tragedy, but see this, she is stubbornly disobedient. She doesn't want to listen. She wants to send them back. She wants to get rid of them so she doesn't have to remember the past. God's put a blessing in her life. A daughter-in-law. See, she's lost a husband, two sons, but she has a daughter-in-law who clings to her, who will be a blessing to her, who will be the means of her salvation. And she doesn't even see it yet because she's so obsessed with grief. Consider this, Psalm 130, 5 through 7. I wait for Yahweh, my soul waits, and in his word I hope. My soul waits for Yahweh more than the watchman for the morning. More than the watchman for the morning. O Israel, hope in Yahweh. For Yahweh there is steadfast love, and with him is plentiful redemption. See, there were different watches of the night. Whenever you read in the Bible the deep watch of the night, that's Three, that's 3 a.m. to 6, to sun up. If you've ever been a soldier, if you've ever known soldiers who had to stand guard duty, the worst watch of the night is the deep watch of the night. 3 o'clock in the morning, you are tired. 3 a.m., you had to get up to stand watch, but it's cold, it's dark, it's quiet. Your enemy can sneak up on you, slit your throat, and you won't even know what hits you. So you're scared in the deep watch of the night. You're looking, you're straining your eyes, you're begging, you're praying to God for the light to come up. Because once the light comes up, yes, your watch is over. But in the daylight, there's security. In the darkness, there's danger. My soul waits on God like the soldier who's waiting for the dawn to come so that the night's over, the danger passes. That's what that psalm means. Naomi wasn't looking for the Lord. She was just wallowing in self-pity. Consider Ruth 1.16. We're just going to keep going where we were. But Ruth replied, do not persuade me to leave you or go back and not follow you. For wherever you go, I will go. And wherever you live, I will live. Your people will be my people and your God will be my God. So we know that one. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. May Yahweh punish me and do so severely if anything but death separates you and me. Ruth, a Moabite woman who was raised to worship false gods, married for 10 years to this child 
of Naomi. Now she says, may Yahweh punish me if I ever leave you. In those years that she was married, her husband had taught her well. Her husband had taught her that Yahweh was the God of mercy and grace and forgiveness and strength. He had taught her this, Exodus 23, you shall have no other gods before me. See, Naomi forgot the first and greatest law of the Ten Commandments. You will have no other gods before me. Yet she would send her daughter-in-laws back to false gods, to worship gods that had no power, no strength. The Psalms say that those who worship idols are doomed to become like them because they have eyes that cannot see, ears that cannot hear, hands that cannot move, and feet that cannot walk. These false idols are stone and wood, and they are dead. And everyone who worships them are dead just like them. Do you see the power of the Old Testament now? It warns us. Those who worship this modern God, this God of only love, this God of only acceptance, this God who requires, that's a false God. It's a dead God, and you're just as dead as the false gods you worship. And I blame the pastors of this country for being such cowards. I blame the pastors of this country for being too afraid to preach God's word in its entirety, in its totality, and recalling people to repent. You know, the Puritans would have revivals, and they ask, how do you know if a revival is a good revival? And they were expecting, well, you got to have this many converts, and you got to have this many baptisms, and you got to have this many church people joining the church. That's not how the Puritans measured it. The, what it says in the, in the text that we have from that time is, if the word of God is preached completely, totally, fully, we are successful. We are successful in this revival if God's word is heard. That's what's not being heard in this country. The Bible says the day of famine will come. Not a famine from food, but famine from the word of God. And we are in the middle of a famine in this country. People go to church every Sunday and they don't hear the word of God. They don't hear the joyful noise that Jesus saves, Jesus saves. They don't know. Naomi, in her grief, in her anger, had forgotten. But Ruth remembered. Remembered what her husband had taught her. Remembers that stubborn love can overcome stubborn disobedience. Naomi was stubbornly disobedient to repent before God and come back under him. Instead, she would just shove away the provision that God had left her. And here, Ruth remembers. She remembers this too. Exodus 20, 12. Honor your father and your mother that, the days, that your days may be long in the land and that Yahweh your God is giving you. That Yahweh your God is giving you. Naomi was her mother. The moment she left her family and tied herself to her husband, Naomi became her mother. And she would not forsake her because her husband had taught her, honor your mother and father that you may live long in the land. Her husband did a great job raising her up from pagan to believer. There's one last thing I want you to see. Life is often interrupted by tragedy. Loss of a parent, loss of a loved one, loss of family members, COVID has inflicted more tragedy in this country than we could begin to count.
More lives have been wrecked by this stuff. But also, life is interrupted by stubborn disobedience. When you know you're wrong, you repent and you come back to God. If you stubbornly disobey, you are inhibiting God from blessing and healing you. When there's disobedience, there's no healing. Last thing I want you to see is this. Life is always interrupted by bitterness. Now remember, Naomi already said, my life is too bitter. Too bitter. But life is often interrupted by bitterness. Bitterness. We're going to look at Ruth 1.18. When Naomi saw that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped trying to persuade her. Literally, in the Hebrew, she stopped talking to her. She just stopped talking. She tried to persuade her, hey, go home, go home, fine. And then she, she stormed off in silence and started walking toward Israel. She just stopped talking to her. But really, it means she, she stopped trying to persuade her to go home. She gave up on the whole idea. The two of them traveled until they came to Bethlehem. When they entered Bethlehem, the whole town was excited about their arrival. It's back in the old days. Bethlehem was not that big. People coming into town would often cause a stir. It says, and the local women exclaimed, can this be Naomi? And of course, Naomi, with a heart of bitterness, shot back. Don't call me Naomi. See, the word Naomi means what? Pleasant. Pleasant. The pleasantness of God, the pleasantness of his presence, the pleasantness of her presence. Her name meant pleasant. She said, don't call me that. She said, call me Mara. Mara means bitter, bitter, frustration, deep into the heart. She answered, for the Almighty has made me very bitter. You want to see a great lie in the Bible? This is a lie right here. I mean, people talk about, oh, there's lies in the Bible. Here's the only lie I've found. For the Almighty has made me very bitter. No. You made yourself bitter because you would not submit to God. People get angry. Well, God makes me angry. No, God didn't make you angry. You made yourself angry. Here's the thing. If you a grown person, and all of us here is way past grown. If you're a grown person, nobody can make you angry. Nobody can make you angry. People can do stupid things to you. And you allow yourself to become angry. Now, the Bible's very, very wise. It says, don't let the sun go down on your anger. Yeah, you, you can get furious. You can get steamed up. But as a believer, as a wise person who knows the word of God, you also know to walk away and walk it off. Calm down. Stay cool so you can think. When you're mad, you can't think. She so said, the Lord has made me very bitter. No, she made herself bitter by kicking herself for what she had done and for the decisions she had made. I went away full, but the Lord brought me back empty. Now, you went away with a husband and two sons. You came back with something better, and that is a faithful daughter-in-law. But see, she was so bitter, so angry, she couldn't see what she had. People who are bitter are bitter because of what they have lost, not because of what they have gained. You know, and she had gained a faithful, lifelong companion who would be better to her than two sons. But she couldn't see it yet. Why do you call me Naomi since Yahweh has pronounced judgment on me and the Almighty has afflicted me? So Naomi came back from the land of Moab with her daughter-in-law, Ruth the Moabitess. They arrived in Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley festival. Ooh, best time of the year. The barley harvest or the barley festival was typically what for us would be March. 
Okay, it was the very first one. It was March. It meant that the long winter was over. Here was going to be plenty. Here was going to be provision. Here was going to be food. Even if you were homeless, even if you were desperate living on the street, even if you were a woman with no husband and no sons, you could gather barley in the fields because the law of Israel forbid them from harvesting the whole thing. They had to leave everything at the edge open for the poor to come and gather food. So this would be a time of plenty for everybody. Now, isn't it amazing? God got the word to Naomi at just the right time so that she would return to Israel at just the right time for her needs to be met. That's the thing about God. God may seem to close a door on you, but there's a window open that you could jump through. So she didn't have a husband. She didn't have sons, but she had a daughter-in-law who was willing to work and brought them back at a time when her labor could be fruitful for them to have food and provision. And they brought her back to the very town she was from. So she had family to go back to. She had a place to get restarted. God didn't leave her without provision. I like this definition someone gave me. They said that bitterness is an unwanted guest that we invite into our homes and refuse to throw out when he's overstayed his welcome. Let me give that to you again. I thought this was a good line. Bitterness is an unwanted guest. Nobody wants to be bitter. Nobody wants to be so consumed with hatred and anger that everybody wants to stay away from you. You know bitter people. Bitter people are the ones that when they show up, you leave. You know, when they come around, there's never a pleasant thing out of their mouth. Everything is a complaint. That's what bitterness does. Bitterness robs you of the ability to see blessing. You're either going to see blessing or you're going to see bitterness. You're not going to see both together. Now, bitterness can creep into the corners of our heart. And bitterness towards someone can creep into our heart. But it's an unwanted guest. And it should be one that we get rid of as soon as possible. But sometimes it makes itself at home. And it's very hard to root out. The opposite to bitterness is this. Psalm 27, 13. I would have despaired unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of Yahweh in the land of the living. You understand what that means? You don't get your blessing in the sweet by and by. You don't get your blessing when, you, when we all get to heaven. You don't get your blessing after you're dead. The blessing is here. It is now. It is being able to wake up in the morning with the knowledge that God is good all the time, and all the time, God is good. Things are not always good, but all things work together for good for those who love the Lord and are called according to his purpose. Called according to his purpose. When we're following after God in our prayers, in our seeking, in our Bible reading, in our attempts to be more like Christ, then the blessing of God is there in all of that. And that's what I think is so amazing about the beginning of Ruth. Ruth sets out a life that all of us can understand. Here in here, January 3rd, 2021, we understand that bitterness and, and disobedience and tragedy have been part of the last year. You know, the last year has been pretty horrendous for most people. It's been pretty tough. But this is a brand new year. It's time to change our perspective. It's time to change our perspective. Even when it seems like our life is going nowhere, God is still 
working. But are you looking for the blessing or are you feasting on the bitterness like Naomi did? Now, her life won't stay this way. Her life will change, but it will take the intervention of God to do it. And we'll get to that next week. So let's go ahead and pray.